0: Exodus 14 is our passage this morning. We're going to start in verse 10. Uh, we're going to read through verses 31. So Exodus 14:10 through 31. Uh, we've been looking at the life of Moses, and particularly or exclusively in the book of Exodus, uh, over here in the summer months. What does Moses have to teach us about a life of trust? What does he have to teach us about trusting God? Last week we looked at uh, the tenth plague. The plague of the firstborn son where he was uh, killed if there was no blood on the door. Uh, the angel of death sweeping through uh, Egypt. And now we're at the point where the Israelites have been um, looking, looking, looking for freedom, looking for deliverance. And now we are going to see that uh, this morning as we experience uh, the, the miracle of the, the parting of the Red Sea and the Israelites uh, passing through there. It's a longer passage than maybe what we uh, typically read, so let's stand together and read that. Uh, Exodus 14, uh, starting in verse 10, we'll read through verse 31. Let's hear God's word to us this morning. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "'Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you have brought us to the desert to die?' What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion." He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it. And the Lord swept them into the sea. the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The day that the Lord saved, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father God, this is a significant passage, and um, it's sobering to read. We pray in these moments that you would instruct us and that you would teach us. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Please be seated. It doesn't take much to see that this passage is about salvation. It's about uh, deliverance. It's about God rescuing and finally bringing his people into uh, perfect uh, freedom and perfect rest. uh, No longer having uh, the chains of slavery, so to speak, uh, binding them, but into this uh, new place and new stage of life for them through this miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. And this event is is a big deal in the life of the Hebrews, in the, in the life of the church. It's a significant story. Last week we talked about the Passover. That is a day that's, that's, that's on the calendar. Every year it's to be celebrated and remembered and to to be observed. And while this event is not so much on the calendar to be drawn back to every year and to orient our, our lives around, our lives... Of the Israelites around, it is something that is repeated and, and looked back, by, looked to uh, by the authors, uh, by other authors in the Bible. Uh, for example, in the Psalm, Psalm 78, it's recounted He divided the sea and let them pass through it, and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, He led them with a the cloud, and all that night with a fiery light. Uh, the prophet Isaiah goes back to this moment when he says, Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And so it is an event that the, the, the Bible, writers of the scriptures, writers of the Bible, go back to and refer to, and it's for us to be reminded of this picture of salvation, uh, of this moment, because it's so instrumental and it's so much to be drawn uh, from it for our lives, even as believers today. And so what I want to do is, is simply ask the passage, what does this teach us about our salvation? What is it, how does this instruct us, and what do we learn about our salvation today from this passage? There's four things I want us to cover, four uh, maybe principles or four things we learned from this passage. But before I go there, just to, to lay some of the groundwork and explain it and, and fill it in just a little bit and then talk about four things we learn regarding our salvation. First is that God's people are obviously leaving Egypt. That the last plague has happened, uh, the death of the firstborn, the angel of death coming through uh, the camp, so to speak. And that's that kind of breaks, breaks it all open for Pharaoh. He's like, finally, y- y'all leave. Uh, uh, Israelites, go. I'm done with you. I want you to leave. This is, this is too much for us. We are utterly decimated and destroyed as a country in light of all these plagues. And they leave. In fact, they're given uh, gold and jewelry. The, the Hebrews are given by the Egyptians. They just want them gone, want them out of this place so much. Uh, if we had read Exodus 13, we would know that they... Certainly they're leaving, but they're taking an an indirect route, so to speak, or going an indirect way, and God is intentionally leading them to be right in front of the Red Sea. And in a moment we'll see how significant uh, that is for us. But just because the Israelites are done with the Egyptians, just because they're on the move and they're, they're leaving, doesn't mean that the Egyptians are done with them We notice how the Egyptians pursue them. They follow them. They they still want to go after them. Pharaoh still has this itch uh, to go after them. It could be that he's seen this this free labor that's leaving. It could be just out of a sense of frustration and revenge. But he has gathered his chariots, uh, a huge army, to go after and pursue uh, these former slaves, the Israelites. And so in light of this, I want to talk about four uh, things we learned about our salvation from this passage. The first thing is this: salvation brings us back to reality. Salvation brings us back to reality. You probably caught this starting in, in verse 12. You know, the Israelites are on the move, and the Egyptian excuse me, the Hebrews look back and they see the Egyptian army coming at them. And how do they respond? They are freaking out. They are thrown into a panic by this. This huge army is, is, is coming after them, and they go after Moses. And they say, Moses, it, wouldn't it be better if we died there? This is going to be horrible. How can you allow us to, to walk into this situation uh, that's before us? And they almost they paint it, so to speak, like we told you from the beginning that this wasn't going to work out, Moses which is not completely the, the case. If you go back and look at Exodus 4, Moses introduces himself in a sense to them and, and lays out the game plan, how he's going to go to Pharaoh and, and talk to him about their situation. And they are all in. They're like, Moses, you're our guy. You're the leader. Uh, let's make this happen. And they even worship the Lord in response to him. And so you can see how they're just panicked by this situation, and they're just not thinking clearly. Clearly which is easy for us as, as readers to see that, that how, that, how that's such a problem for them. And you would think, you understand their their concern, and their kind of fear of what's coming after them, but you would think that they would think of maybe another way to respond to this situation, not uh, piling onto Moses, but to think, you know, we've seen ten plagues. Uh, we've seen God do something miraculous, I mean, that... God has demonstrated his power, it would be reasonable for these Israelites to assume that maybe God is going to do something powerful here, that maybe he's going to, to show himself in a different way here. Instead, they, they automatically go negative, that it's all over for us. We're going to die. God has forgotten about us. That's it. Or they could have gone to Moses and said, Hey, we, we, we're, we know you've got something up your sleeve. What, what's going to happen here? We you know You've done these ten plagues, and you've been back and forth of Pharaoh, and it's been very dramatic, certainly you have something up your sleeve. Certainly you know that God is going to do something here to save us and to, and to rescue us because this is looking pretty dark. It's looking pretty dim. I mean, our backs were trapped here. The Red Sea in front of us. We've got this huge army behind us. Certainly you're going to, uh, to do something. Certainly there is uh, another option. Uh, Moses, could you please tell us what it is? But that does not factor into their thinking at all. Instead, they go back to man, I wish we were back in egypt uh, life was was easier there. we were secure there we knew what what day was going to look like, and we knew we weren't going to die this is this is horrible, this is all doom and gloom and to stop here for a moment to, and observe this this is this is a huge issue and a huge struggle I think for us as as believers today. We get faced with these horrible circumstances. bad situations come our way whether it's relational, whether it's job or whether it's parenting or whatever it is, and we begin to get, we go negative. We assume that God has forgotten us, that he's left us, and he wants nothing to do with us anymore, that it's just that this is the beginning of the end and nothing's going to happen, nothing good can come of this. But to take note of how Moses responds to them, he turns to them and says, don't fear. (laughs) He says to them, you need to stay still, stay calm, uh, stand firm, and when he's saying that, he's reminding them to live by faith. He's saying to them, y'all aren't living by the unseen. You're not living by the, the, the truth that you know. Don't live by sight and what you're seeing and what you're experiencing, but know that God is real, That know that God is present in your life. You've got to live by faith. Stop walking by sight, but walk by faith. He says to them, see the salvation of the Lord. I know that didn't come out in in the direct translation that we have, and another translation describes it as see the salvation of the Lord. Now, certainly, they are going to see the salvation of the Lord visibly. The sea is going to divide. They're going to pass through. That's their salvation. They're going to see God's judgment when the sea collapses on top of the Egyptians there. But in a sense, what Moses is saying, before you can see that, before you can see how God is going to deliver, you've got to see with your spiritual eyes the salvation that the Lord's going to deliver to you. You've got to see by faith. You've got to see God by faith. In, in the midst of your, uh, the challenges that you are facing, you've got to see God working behind that, and you've got to trust him. In other words, if you're going to grow in the Christian life, if God's promises are going to have traction on your heart, they're going to be real to you, you've got to begin to mistrust your own heart. You've got to begin to mistrust what you're experiencing and what you're feeling. And, and I say that in a sense that you've got to see who God is by faith. You've got to understand his word by faith. You've got to, to, uh, to rest in it, to, to believe in it as belonging to you by faith with your own eyes, in other words, if you're going to mistrust your feelings, you've, you've got to know that you're not alone in this process of the Christian life. Think about it like this. If you are struggling, you're going through a hard time, whether it's health-related or circumstantially related, if you just isolate yourself, if you just live and, and uh, kind of keep to yourself and just go in on yourself and your own thoughts and your, and your, and your relationships, is going to lead to more darkness is going to lead to more discouragement. It's going to lead to more depression. It's going to lead to more doubt. It's going to lead to more anxiety. And that's not how God has set things up. He's saying, I've given you the church. I've given you other people in your life where you can engage with, people in your life where you can go to and say, you've got to pray for me. I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. Could you pray for me now? Or could you keep me in your prayers? Could you opportunity to talk to other people? let alone come to a service like this, not to check the box off, I've, I've done that today and I've, I'm, I feel like I'm a good person now, but to come and be renewed, to come and be reminded of the gospel and of God's truth and the promises that are for you. As we open up his word, as we, as we sing about them, as we pray about them, to be reminded so you don't live in isolation, so that those those words become real to you, those promises become real to you and you're able to see God and experience him by faith. In other words, you are going to continue to panic. You're going to continue to, to cave in on yourself. Your circumstances are going to continue to be more and more real to you until you begin to see by faith. And part of the thing, the ways, one of the ways that God helps us in that process, he gives us his church, he gives us other people to come along and be with. That's the first thing uh, we learn. The next thing is, is salvation comes in impossible circumstances. Salvation comes in impossible circumstances. Think about where the Israelites are right now. They are in front of the Red Sea. There, there's no, they, they can't go any further. There's no la, uh, rafts out there. Uh, there's no pontoon boats. That, that's it right in front of them. And this army is pursuing them and coming after them. And you've got to think, well, how did they get in this situation? Did they just lose their Google Maps? What, what is the deal? How did they get to this place? It's because God has led them there. God has led them to this place, and he wants them there. And more than this, on top of this, God is, is, has been working in Pharaoh's heart. Now he's turned Pharaoh's heart to say, I'm going to go and pursue these Israelites Maybe he sees how they're just kind of wandering out there, just kind of helpless and, and hopeless. He says, now's the time to strike. Now's the time uh, to pounce. And he takes all of his soldiers with him, and he takes this great technology of these chariots, and he goes and he pursues them. So the reason they are in this impossible situation is because God has placed them there. Why? <laughs> It, the, the only answer I can come to is that because he wants to glorify his name. He wants, to, he wants them to know who he is and what he's able to do in their midst. He wants to bring them more than out of Egypt. He wants to do more in their lives and just release them from that, that hard circumstances. But his goal is for them to worship him. His goal is for them to know at real freedom and in real life with him. And what this means for us is that God wants you to do more than solve your problems, okay? God is in the business of doing more than just solving your problems and dealing with your difficulties and dealing with the people that stress you out and the situations that you do not sure how they're going to be resolved. But he wants to do more than that in the sense that he wants to glorify his name. He wants you to know the richness and, and the beauty and the, and the majesty of all he is. So think about your situation Think about your circumstances, and maybe more so think about your circumstances from the past. And maybe kind of do a a quick run-through of your life, and you think, if only. You know, if only if I made this decision. If only I decided to do this, and I decided not to do that. If only I had these kind of friends. If only I had this kind of opportunity. If only I went to this kind of college. Or if only I majored in this degree. If only I had this job. If only I were in this situation. If only I had this, this, or this. And you think about all those if-only kind of situations and how difficult life is because those things are not true and begin to think, well, maybe God is doing something in the midst of that. Maybe God's trying to teach me something. Maybe he's trying to do more than give me a, a life of ease and a life of great comfort, but maybe he wants to show me who he is. Maybe he wants to do more than just answer my prayers, but he wants to reveal himself to me in such a way as that we know him, that we see him as our ultimate treasure, our ultimate worth, our ultimate value, our ultimate rest and freedom, not as somebody that we go to just to get us out of a bind, but we become and see the depth and richness of having his name glorified in our lives. The third thing is is this. Salvation has a fierce enemy. Salvation has a fierce enemy. You read in verse 10, you've got these Egyptians marching after them aggressively, uh, probably with a sense of, of anger and a sense of wanting to get revenge back on all that's been happening to them. And the, the author of, of Exodus includes that word chariots. These chariots, not just soldiers, it's not just men marching down the plain, so to speak, but these chariots are coming after them as well. Which we read and think, well, that's not a big deal. But to them, this is a big deal. This is the, the best uh, warfare technology that, that's out there. This, these kind of chariots, and they're co- coming after these Israelites. They're coming after them. There can be no worse of an enemy, no stronger enemy coming after them. And these people are just slaves. They have no weapons. They have no will to fight. They're, they're boxed in there, and they see this huge enemy coming after them. And it's such a reminder of the deliverance and the salvation that God brings our way, that God works in our lives. The Israelites see this, and their response is what? That they want to go back. They want to go back the way things were. The enemy is too strong. The circumstances are too difficult. We want to go back to the way life was before. And it's a reminder to us that salvation has this strong enemy that that comes after us. We don't have these chariots pursuing us, but we know that there is an enemy that's desiring to, to lie to us, uh, to pull us away from God, pull us away from uh, walking with him and knowing him and pursuing him and, and living in light of his truth. And he'll shade things. He'll, he'll uh, lie to us. He'll bring things into our life to, to pull us away from him. We have this fierce enemy that pursues us. And Jesus talks about it like this, the parable of the, of the sower. Some of you remember this parable that Jesus says there's four soils, and those fours represent different responses to the gospel. It's only the last one that grows and really thrives. But he talks about that that seed that's sown on the the first soil, and Satan comes and he grabs that seed and quickly moves it away. The text says in Matthew 13 that evil one comes and snatches away what is sown. And it's a reminder to us that we are engaged in a spiritual battle, Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you can see it or not, there is a spiritual battle all around us. I'm not saying the devil's in your toothpaste, but I am saying to you that that there is somebody that wants to sow doubt, that wants to sow discouragement, that wants to sow uh, unbelief, that wants to pull you away from who God is and what he's able to do in your life And all of us, when we are tempted, and I think the parable of the sower kind of brings this out, because there's one soil that that receives the word and life is great, but then there's suffering, there's difficulty, there's pushback on this, and that seed wants to go back to life as the way it was before. It wants to go back to life before there was God's word, before God was a reality to them, because it was comfortable, because life was easier there, because I could control it. It's what the Israelites want. They want to go back to the way it was before. This is too hard. This is too difficult. This is too stressful. And maybe we want to go back like this in the sense of, I just want to go back to my addictions. This circumstance, is too far for me. I don't want to go and trust God. I don't want to pray about it. I don't want to talk to other people to pray about it. I'd rather just be numb to it by watching TV. I'd rather be numb to it by by eating or by shopping and by going after these kinds of things. I'd rather just get angry over it. I'd rather just not talk to my spouse about it. It's easier to pursue things like that, to go back like that, than to embrace the gospel, to trust him at his word, because there is a fierce enemy that wants to divide us and wants to sow that kind of discouragement. The last one is this, salvation is our escape. Salvation is our escape. We've already talked about and made mention of, and it's obvious that they are in this incredibly different situation, different different difficult circumstances. And Pharaoh changes his mind. When Pharaoh changes his mind and he says, I'm going to go and pursue these Israelites, it, basically, what that means is that the, the Hebrew, excuse me, that, that the Israel, when he, Pharaoh changes his mind, the Israelites are as good as dead. That, that they are going to die unless something changes. Uh, they haven't done it yet, but when Pharaoh's pursuing him with his 600 chariots, with his army, with his soldiers, Uh, the the Israelites on that side of the Red Sea, where they are, they are as good as death. There is a sentence of death, of condemnation that that rests upon them. It is not going to go well for them. But then God, of course, executes his plan. Moses, stand before the river, or the, the sea there, stretch out your arms, and it divides. And, of course, the Israelites cross over. They cross over on dry ground. And they get to a place of safety. Once they make that crossing over, they're safe. They are saved. They're, they're, there is real freedom for them there. But when the, the Egyptians come through, they don't get God's salvation. They get God's judgment because the sea, of course, collapses on them. They are, they are drowned, which is kind of fitting or you might say ironic too because you, some of you remember what uh, Pharaoh wanted to have happen to those Hebrew babies in chapter 1 of Exodus He's saying, when you see a Hebrew baby born, what do you, he says to them, that throw them in the river, they are to be drowned there. And here is God executing his judgment upon uh, the Egyptians by drowning him there. The point is, when the Israelites cross over, they're safe. They're in a safe pot. That, the, the condemnation of death no longer hangs over upon them anymore. And the importance of this for today is, 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 is this. In John chapter 5, Jesus says this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That, that last phrase there, passed from death to life, other translations have it as crossed from death to life. Now, did Jesus, did he have in mind, was he thinking about uh, the Red Sea and the Israelites passing over? Probably not, but the image certainly fits with us today. And it helps us understand a, a Christian is somebody who has crossed over. A, a Christian is somebody who has crossed over. They've moved from condemnation to life, to hope, to freedom, to rest, uh, to safety on the other side. That they they they've escaped uh, judgment. They've escaped condemnation. They've escaped death, and they've crossed over. My question for you, as we uh, close here, in in a in a moment uh, with a word of prayer, how does your heart respond to that? How does your heart respond to the idea that you have crossed over if you have crossed over? What are you doing with that? And I ask that because if we read Exodus chapter 15, it's a retelling of the parting of the Red Sea. It's a retelling of their freedom that the Israelites are experiencing, but it's in the form of worship. It's in the form of singing. That's how the Israelites respond They see what God has done for them, and there's a sense of joy. There's a sense of freedom that they have that they never would have known unless God came to them and said, you know, I want to do more than solve your problems. I want you to know real life. I want you to know real life and freedom with me. How is God's salvation resting with you this morning if you've crossed over? If you haven't crossed over, what keeps you from moving and trusting and seeing all that Christ has done for you? As we read in the Apostles' Creed how he has taken our sins upon himself so that we can belong to him. Let's pray together as God's people. Father God, we need to know the freedom that we have. And for that, we need to have eyes of, of faith to see who you are. In a sense, to distrust uh, what we think and start believing and start understanding your truth and the reality that you present to us. You have truly given us a great salvation. And We pray that you would help us to be your people, to embrace that, and to live by faith, to stand firm, and to fear not, and to pursue you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. Our closing hymn is uh, in our hymn books uh, here Rock of Ages, uh, hymn number 204. So if you stand with me, 204, we are going to sing stanzas 1, 2, and 3. So hymn 204, stanzas 1, 2, and 3.